Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Commented Podcast, where we talk about your favorite movies, music, TV shows, and more. I'm Tori. I'm Marin. I'm Mia. And I'm DeCoria. And happy Black History Month to all the melanated babes of the universe. It is Black History Month here in the United States, so we're going to be doing some special episodes along with our regular content during this month. Um, And our first uh installment for black history month will be another edition of black cinema we'll be looking at the infamous sydney portier's uh in the heat of night don't remember i mean don't remember don't remember really victorian don't forget (laughs) (laughs) don't forget to drink your water wear your sunscreen and a mask so, yes, In the Heat of the Night is a 1967 American mystery drama filmed, film directed by Norman Jewison. Jewison. It's based off John Bell's 1965 novel of the same name. It tells the story of Virgil Tibbs, a black police detective from Philadelphia who becomes involved in a murder investigation in the small town of Mississippi. It stars Sidney Poitier, Ron Steger, and was produced by Walter Mirsch. The screenplay was written by Sterling Sillifant. That is a last name. Mm-hmm. Is he? I didn't check to see if he was black. I'm pretty sure he's white. Um, um, question: Is this your first encounter with Sydney Portier, uh, Marin? Yes, for me. Mm, okay. Um, had you heard of him before? Um, no, not until I heard of him first on his passing. Mm, okay. Okay. What about you, Corey? Oh uh, no, I've heard of him before. I was raised with my grandparents, so like they like I've seen most of his movies. Mm. All right, what about you, Nia? Um, no, it's not first time. I saw where did I see? I saw one of his movies for film class, and then I just saw Guess Who's Coming Again to Dinner with my parents just because it was on TV when I was much <laughs> younger. What about you, Tori? Um, I th- I think I've always known the name Sidney Poitier. Um, I think I've always seen him in his younger years, and I had to watch um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner in my black um, cinema class and school, so this is my first time watching In the Heat. I think this is the first time for everybody, right? For me, yeah. No, I've seen this before. Mm, okay. I, I don't think I've seen this one. Alright. So, let's just <laughs> jump into the recap. Um... So, it's we are in I think the film is set in 1961. I believe Did I so. read that correctly? Yeah. I believe the so. film is set in 1961. It was released in 1967. Those are very important dates because if I'm not mistaken, the Civil Rights Act was in 1964. Mhm. Yep. So, just context for context context for um as we move into this film. So, <laughs> The film begins as we see a mysterious figure um, deboard a train in Sparta, Mississippi, where a wealthy industrialist, Philip Colbert, is to build a factory. So we hop into this scene of this diner. This is a very creepy um, waiter who works at the diner who is catching flies with a rubber band tell we're in the south by his uh southern draw he talks to the police officer named sam woods they chat about the last piece of cake the last piece of pie that sam woods wanted that sam leaves to go do his duty and continue to drive around with sparta because he's on the night shift he drives down this very creepy ass street the point of view being on the camera of the hood of the car I was like, them is you. You have to be in the south. There's no streetlights, ain't no sidewalks. Very familiar. <laughs> You're ever in Georgia. Um, but he's driving down this road and he pulls up to this white little house where a all the lights are in, on inside. And if you know anything about how light works, if the lights are on inside and it's dark outside, would you see everything that's happening in that house? And in this white little house is a white woman, butt naked, drinking soda with her curtains open. Um, (laughs) And he creepily stares at her like a fucking creep. Um, You don't want to let her to... She's six fucking teen. (laughs) And so, thank God they don't show her body, but they show that she is naked. Um, 
And so Sam drives off. He's driving around town. It's a very long ass montage of him driving around town, listening to some whack ass country music. <laughs> um, <laughs> cause there's like a buck to somebody and a, <laughs> and a crooked. T- <laughs> it was the lyrics were it very was, just <laughs> wild. And so he pulls up towards the main street and he finds a body on the ground. He goes to touch the body. I know. I know me and Mary. The murderino in me was like gloves, gloves. <laughs> tell why me, are you tell me why. I said, I said, when was DNA fingerprinting invented? Oh, 1982. <laughs> that's why. Or oh, 1987. I said that 20 years later, 1988 or something. I was like, there's it's, no way. <laughs> it kills me as a crime, like a crime genre person. I was like, if you bitches don't stop touching these bodies without a gloves on, y'all are just y'all. He just went in and touched this man, and he. Pulls his fingers back. He got blood on it. I'm like, whole scene is contaminated now, but whatever. You're damaging the crime scene. (laughs) (laughs) Me yelling in my head, stop it. (laughs) And so Sam touches the body. He's dead. He radios in. And the next thing we have is the police um, coming to find out that um, Philip Colbert, the new um, industrialist has been dead on the street. His head has been socked in. They got some, I don't know, I don't think these were crime scene texts, but they got some kids taking pictures of it. They got a doctor smoking a pipe at a crime scene. I was like, you, who taught y'all how to be police officers? Were they teaching people how to be police officers in the 60s? They have you because Mr. Tibbs is a lot better than them. Oh, Mr. Mr. Tibbs had his shit together. Exactly. So, so, um, they get the body back. Gillespie, is that his name? Gillespie? I think Mm -hmm. so. Is the police chief. Gillespie or Gillespie, either one, I think. Yeah, it's the police chief. And he's like, all right, I don't know who could have killed Philip, but he starts off on the kind of right foot that says it could be a hitchhiker. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Y'all live in a small town. Maybe Mr. Colbert doesn't have a lot of enemies or whatever the fuck and so he tells sam woods the the cop who discovered the body to go look at you know the depot the train station and all the other places where hitchhikers can be and he walks in to see sydney portier sitting in a suit reading a book and immediately arrests him and when i saw i here's the thing i did not read the description for this movie i just jumped head first and i was like oh fuck (laughs) (laughs) oh no (laughs) I said, oh, I'm sorry, I should have warned y'all. I'm no, so it's okay. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I was like, oh, it's a black man in Mississippi. Of course they're going to arrest him. Alright, so, um, an unexpected, well, an reluctant Mr. Tibbs gets brought into the police office, the police station. Good God, I can't word today. <laughs> he gets brought into the police station, and Gillespie is immediately like they'll tell me why you killed him boy and i was just like i where's the twist coming because this is how the entire movie is gonna go if i have to watch this one hour and 50 minute movie of this man trying to prove his innocence i'm gonna scream but i know Nia would do that to us i know Nia would do that <laughs> yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't so immediately after um after they question him you know accuse him of murdering colbert just because he's black they find his police badge and in your face motherfuckers they call up to his um does he work for the fbi or does he just work for is he just a regular officer no he's just a regular officer yeah up north yeah so he works he's a police officer in philadelphia they call his um they call his chief his chief vouches for him, says he's their best homicide inspector, and asks him to stay and help the racist white people in Sparta, Mississippi, figure out this murder case. And I was like, why the fuck would his boss suggest that? <laughs> right? That, but honestly, when I look back on it, that plot hole is crazy, because no boss, especially like, now I get white liberal people in that time probably didn't understand a lot about racism, but like you why would you ask you're black you're past black. the mason dixie line and everything like right? this <laughs> that don't make no sense but i guess for plot for plot for plot um so 
you know, they suggest to help him before his next train. And they, you know, uh, Tibbs reluctantly agrees after Gillespie kind of demands slash asks him. And so they go to the coroner's office um, where, again, the doctor is fucking smoking a pipe over a dead body. And they're touching the body without any gloves on. It. It's driving me insane. Um, they get there. Uh, the chief of police brings in Tibbs with him. And they bring in Tibbs with him. And the doctor estimates that he's been dead for a few hours. Tibbs examines the body, tells him all the materials he needs. And he's like, rigor has set in, so it can't be the time you're saying. It has to be earlier. And um, I think this is when the wife goes into the chief. She comes to the police station, right? After mm-hmm. they've examined the body, they go to the police station. The wife is there. Tibbs has um, his analysis on it. Uh, he tells the wife, which was a very odd scene to me. He tells the wife um, that her husband's dead. She, you know, it was probably one of the most best acted scenes was that her, like, slowly, you know, coming to terms with grief but doesn't want to be touched by a black man. It was very weird. Um, it was very weird and... While this is happening, they are chasing down Harvey Opsert, who is um a local ruffian in town, because he has Colbert's wallet. And so because he has Colbert's wallet, they immediately think he is the culprit. But they bring him into the station. Uh, Tibbs tells Gillespie he already told the wife about what happened. And then he asks if he can examine Harvey he finds out that Harvey's left-handed. The conclusions of Tibbs' examination says that the killer was right-handed. Um, the police don't like this because the black man is upstaging them and ask, actually using logic and smarter than all of them. And so they... And they have this conversation in front of the widow. And I was just like... As she looks at the chief of police and is like... Um, no, I want my husband's killer. She's like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> I don't care if she goes, she's like, I don't care about Tibbs being black or anything like that. You're telling me the evidence says that this man is right-handed and the man you arrested is left-handed. This case is not over. Go do your damn work. And so she storms out of the office. They try to get the examination, the evidence from Tibbs. And Tibbs is like, no, I'm a citizen of the FBI myself. I don't trust y'all in your lazy-ass police work. And so they throw him in the slammer with Harvey. And so then he starts to question Harvey. Um, he questions Harvey about where he was, about his alibi, He, you know, what time he left the pool hall, what time he saw Cobra's body. Um, he, you know, he gets this this whole thing from Harvey, he's like, I'm on your side. Harvey, you know, first of all, when he gets to the the cell, Harvey's first words to him is, "Why are you wearing white man's clothes, nigga?" And I was just like, "Yep, bitch, you're like, in jail. I don't think <laughs> <laughs> you don't have no room to be talking about nobody's clothes, <laughs> right?" We'll talk more about that kind of stuff later. But those kind of like clearly, this man is a nobody talking to a police <laughs> officer. Who's probably who's literally above every single person in this entire town in terms of like yeah. intelligence, and then he's like, "Why are you wearing my white man's clothes?" Like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse what? me. Pardon my French. <laughs> um, and so he, you know, he coaxed Harvey into telling him what happened that night, and it even further proves that Mister Tibbs is correct in his assumption that Harvey did not kill Philip Colbert, and so. Um, I think, is this before or after? I think the next scene is when we get to see Jalipsy go to meet the mayor, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Jalipsy goes, he gets a call from the mayor, and the mayor is at the Colbert workshop with the widow. And the widow basically says, I will take my factory and all my engineers and all of the revenue that I was going to bring into y'all shitty ass little economy if you don't figure out who actually killed my husband. She says, I want the black man on, well, she doesn't say black man. She says Negro. She says, I want the Negro police officer to stay on the case. Um, But 
they had already released Tibbs, and Tibbs was well on his fucking way to go home out of fucking Mississippi and bring that evidence back to the FBI. And so, um, Gillespie goes to stop uh, Tibbs, Virgil, at the uh, train station. They have this very weird-ass scene, which I completely hated. Um, but at first, he's kind of asking, and then he's kind of demanding um, that Tips help them on the case. And Tips is like, you are, you are the ever-loving mind if you think I'm going to stay in this town and help you people. Um, but then he gets up all in Virgil's face and is like, you're not going to pass up your opportunity to show all these white folks that you're smarter than them. I know you're not. And that is enough to push Virgil into continuing to stay in racist ass Sparta, Mississippi, where he can lose his life. We'll talk about why I hate that in a second. Um, so he brings him to a local mechanic, tells him to give him a car. It's a black family. The black family asks him, what you doing here helping the police? And he's like, you know, I'm just here to help them on a the case. I'm a homicide investigator. They, you know, they got cute little kids um, and they give him room and board while he's there. And so while that happens, um, Tibbs goes to go see Miss Colbert and he asks her about what her husband was doing the day before. We also get this scene, which I could have sworn was a fucking clan meeting. I could have sworn that was a clan meeting where it's like the chief and these, the mayor and I guess these other rich white businessmen who run Sparta or whoever the fuck that was. And they were like that. He's like, that Negro's not going to make it out alive. And I'm like, what are y'all talking about? I don't even know what, does anybody have context of what that scene was or what it was for? Were they just mad that Virgil was still on the case? I I I guess so. Yeah, I I mean I to me I read that as this town is so small and then it's controlled by the same four or five people that uh-huh. word travels fast that there's a black man who's not like to them who's outperforming all of the not just the, what they think black people are, but like themselves. And so they're having a big like, oh, we have to talk about this. Well, cause, and also I think they did, because like, I can see why like, like it's super complicated and why that scene, I don't, I, I still, I don't know if they should have kept it in, but I feel like it's important to know that like, they're trying to show you like, these are the people who run this and they're talking about the one black man who's coming to disrupt their order, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. It looked like a clan meeting to me. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. It was literally a clan meeting with suits. Like. <laughs> it was the way they were talking about him and his imminent death. And I was just like, he's here to help y'all serve a mur- solve a murder. <laughs> right. That's it. And so um, while Virgil is at the Colbert, um, where the Colberts are staying, and he asks Mrs. Colbert what her husband was doing, um he asked to see her car um the phillips car the dead man's car and he finds you know traces of blood he also which he just touched with his hands i was like (laughs) did you just rub your fingers into dry blood again the the crown junkie me being like stop it stop it it was god um and then he finds this uh root and dirt on the pedals of the foot on the pedals of the car um and so then the chief pulls up asking him what he's doing and he's like oh i found this like fern root and you know that he just hops in the chief's car he's like where are we going so they go to fucking indicott's indicott indicott is a rich man that owns a fucking basically a plantation yep in sparta when the cotton fields showed up I said, oh. I was viscerally triggered. I was like, yeah. I can't do this. <laughs> Literally, I share cropping. And I think that scene, like, it pisses you off. But I think that's, I feel like that's so, I doubt there's a movie from this time that really shows the, what share cropping is. Because people mm-hmm. always have seen movies of what slavery is like. Or they mm-hmm. would have seen those, possibly. But this is the 60s, so I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. But, like, the image of what sharecropping, which was really a slavery by another name, because this is 1960 and you have a pseudo plantation right there. In right. Sweden. And it's 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 so crazy because the imagery is definitely plantation. But yeah. you see that sign that says Cotton Incorporated or Cotton Company or some shit like that. And I was like, 
oh, this is just, it's so bad. And it makes it even worse because the chief goes, yeah, none of that for you, right, Tibbs? And I was like, oh, that I scene. I said, why? I was like, he needs to punch this white man. This is the one he needs to punch in the face. God. Then it cuts to him walking into that antebellum architecture slash plantation house. I said, and a oh. black butler opens the door, and I was like, "Oh God!" I'm, it's Listen, sometimes, me. if you drive around a certain parts of Georgia, you'll get the antebellum architecture houses, and just it just makes me feel gross inside. I just see the little yeah. pillars outside, and I'm like, "The Let's vibes drive are faster. always bad. The vibes yep. are always bad. It's never yep. good. It's never good." And so they get to this house and knock on the door. The butler takes them to the greenhouse where Endicott is, and. First of all, <laughs> what caught me off seeing that I had to watch it twice is that Endicott already knew Virgil's last name because yeah, that's the me. chief the chief introduced him as um, Virgil with no last name. And he says, Mr. Tibbs. And I'm like, there's no way. I was like, this man I was a cotton. This man I was a plantation. There is ain't no way in hell he's <laughs> that nice to people. But that just shows you how small that town was. He was like, yeah. Mr. Tibbs, nice to meet you. This. And he talks about, he's like, oh, are those, or, you know, um, Virgil starts to pull him in to get friendly before asking questions. He's like, are these or- orchids? I didn't know you can grow them down. So he's like, yes, you'd love them. See them. He shows them this other orchid. And he's like, they're just like Negroes. They just need a lot of care and a lot of attention. And without that, they'll fail. And I was like, no, 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 if no. this he said, <laughs> he said black people need cultivating. I said, oh I yes. Said, <laughs> I said, I said, I, mean, I said, this man has five minutes. <laughs> this man five has five minutes. minutes. Like, I need this to get the hell up out of here, <laughs> right? Listen, and then what's about to happen? This is why I feel like this movie. Why we did this movie in the first place? But I'm gonna let you finish, mm-hmm. Tori. But like the setup, like yeah. this is why this movie's even talked about but go ahead right and so he says that flippant ass line about black people need cultivating and you know Virgil doesn't sweat he keeps looking around he sees the fern root he asks him what it is and he confirms it is a fern root he doesn't say it's, it's a fern root he confirms it he locks eyes with the chief Ed Cott Endicott realizes that something's not right. He asks them, what the fuck are y'all doing here in the first place? He's like, we just want to question you about, you know, did Mr. You know, Colbert come here last night? And he's like, oh, you came here to question me? And so he closes the distance between him and Virgil because he was across the room. He closes the distance. He slaps him and without a beat, without breathing, <laughs> Virgil slaps his man back and I said, yes! Listen, <laughs> that scene... I was like, bitch, you better do something. I'm sick of everybody. And what what kills me is, oh, God, there's like that that moment of cathartic, right? And then you have to realize this is the 1960s. And he looks at the chief and he goes, did you see that? Wait, you gonna do nothing about it? And I was like, and Virgil looked at him like, I wish you would. Right? <laughs> you gonna do something about it? I wish you would. And so he and uh he he says some other shit about, you know, wanting um this man gone or whatever like that, you know, and Virgil just ups and leaves. And Endicott has the nerve to cry. Cry. I bust out laughing. I said, is crying? Listen, and that what's so powerful, we're going to talk about this later, but that what's so powerful about that scene, you know, that's the first on film that someone has ever, that I believe that was the first time on film that a black actor, a black man had slapped a white man on screen. Mm. And that right. like, and like the reason why like that scene was crazy is because like, you're literally seeing in front of a police officer who would have at the time probably killed him on the spot, like right. in real life. You're seeing him being like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then like, <laughs> like that whole scene, I literally was like screaming. Cause I'm like, this is now he just needs to do this with everybody who talks crazy. Right. <laughs> just go yeah, around right, hitting because, everybody. Because even, even Endicott says a few years ago, I could have just had you killed. And I was just like, I, I'm right. done. <laughs> right? You deserve to slap. He should slap you twice. Right. He should be twice. He should like, he was too nice. Listen, <laughs> By anybody's standards, he really went off easy on that white man. Virgil was very cordial. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. That's a whole. I'm gonna rant about that later. But yeah, 
he was so overwhelmingly right nice so they hightail off this plantation because obviously this is going to have consequences that even the police chief cannot stop from happening because this is on the cusp of the this is the cusp this is jim crow era so a black man hitting a white man is definitely not it um so that happens Gillespie takes um Gillespie takes Virgil back into town and Endicott sends a gang of thugs <laughs> uh it's to the gang of you know conservative flag thugs to kill Tibbs they chase into an abandoned factory um it's like four on one and then um Gillespie shows up and basically rescues him and that scene to me was also ridiculous they're like you're a nigger lover he's like I'm a what he's like well he's like kill the nigger get rid of him and he's like get the fuck out of here y'all are four kids I don't even know how old these people were (laughs) they're just like the police are gonna do what we say and I was like yeah no he's not um at this point Gillespie is like, you have got to get the fuck out of town. You have to go. You have to leave. If you die here, it's going to be world of trouble for us. And we can't do that. We can't have that. So you got to get the fuck up out of here. And Tibbs is like, no, I'm I'm close. So let me just, you know, finish this case. Since you wanted me to do it so fucking bad, bitches. <laughs> I can't stand it, man. <laughs> um, so the night continues. And Woods, Tibbs asked Woods to pick him up and take him to retrace his steps that happened when he was on his car patrol. So he goes to the diner. We see the creepy diner dude again um, um, who says he doesn't want to serve Virgil or whatever. They leave the diner and they follow Woods' route. Um, Gillespie is over this. He's like, I don't know why we're doing this. And then Woods changes his route instead of going the route that he went on the night that Colbert was found dead and Tibbs clocks him for him and Tibbs starts being like, do I have to prove myself to this man? Why did he like, when he clocks him in the lie, Woods is like, I can't believe, he's like, chief, do I really have to explain myself? Yeah, bitch. Why won't you explain yourself? But Tibbs just gets out of the car and he's like, all right, I'll see y'all in the morning. And so the next day, at the station, they arrest Sam Woods, one of their own, as the killer of Colbert. And Tibbs is like, why the fuck did you do that? He's not, he's like, you're making a mistake. He's not the killer. He's like, you caught him in a lie last night. You caught him in a lie last night. We just confirmed that he deposited a large amount of money into his bank account. Um, if he ain't, the, I, he's like, he's like, and that's enough for me. I don't care. He, he's like, that's enough for me, which really killed me he's like that's enough for me he's like the only reason i caught him in a lie last night is because he changed his route because he didn't want me to see a naked white woman and he's like what are you talking about he was like some woman named purdy who he got this information from harvey when he was in um the jail cell in the beginning of the, the film he's like some woman named purdy gets her rocks off about standing naked in her lit up house in the middle of the night and he didn't want me to see that so that's why he changed his route um and but Gillespie doesn't care, and then all of a sudden, um, Prudy Dolores is the girl. Prudy is her brother. We're gonna call it like that. Purdy is her brother. Purdy bracelet brings her in and files a statutory rape charge, um, for Sam Woods, saying that Purdy is about that Dolores is about to have Sam Woods' baby, and so they interrogate her, and she basically tells this whole story about how um she was sitting on the porch one day and it got um got out of hand with sam and that's why she's pregnant but she's 16 so it's statutory rape in mississippi and even though she tells the story she's kind of pushed into telling the story by the chief because who keeps like filling in the blanks for her instead of letting her tell the story herself and because tibbs was present during this this interrogation or whatever purdy gets mad at the chief of police it's like i can't believe you had he's like you had no right to have a black man in this well he says nigga but i'm gonna just keep saying black man he's like you had no reason to have a black man in this interrogation room to embarrass my sister like that and 
uh, it's stupid, but he gets very pissed off about that. So the minute that Tibbs hears the story about Dolores, he goes back into the cells where Harvey is still being held for theft for stealing Cobra's wallet, even though he's not a <clears throat> a suspect in the murder case anymore. Tibbs basically gets Harvey to tell him who, where would a girl go in this town to handle an abortion? he's like well there's this colored woman who handles shit like that but her prices keep going up so a lot of people stop using her he's like well i need to find her and harvey says well if you get me a cheeseburger then i'll then i'll handle it for you so then um virgil goes out to the factory land where the factory, the land where the factory is supposed to be, the Copas factory is supposed to be built. He goes out there, he gets walked up on. We think it's this mob that Dolores's brother has set up to go find him and kill him for some fucking reason, just because he was there listening to, as a police officer, listening to an interrogation as a part of his job, and they're ready to murder this man. Um, but the chief of police walks up on, you know, Virgil. He's like, you were, he's like, you know, why your car parked out in the open? You know, why are you being a normal citizen that can get you killed, basically? And Virgil's like, I heard you coming. I would have been fine. But he talks about how he got results back from the FBI. Well, he mentioned the FBI earlier that he could prove that um, Colbert was at Edincott's, um, whatchamacallit, plantation. But he also said that Trace's of the murder weapon came back and it was pine and the stakes used to map out the building on that land were pine giant things of wood he's like i'm and the chief keeps saying i'm telling you it's sam woods i'm telling you that's who it is and he he i i don't remember the exact line but he basically asked virgil why are you so against it he's like i'm not against it it's just not the truth and so they go back to the chief's house and have this supposed, <sighs> how do I explain this? A supposed heart to heart um, over bourbon. And the chief talks about how he ain't got no wife, he ain't got no kids, this town don't want him no more. He got to oil his own air conditioning unit and blah, 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 blase, blase, blase. And about how it makes him lonely. And he asks, Virgil, are you married? Have you ever been married? You've been close to marriage. Virgil said he's been close to marriage. And he says something about being lonely. And Virgil says, not any lonelier than you. And then he immediately gets angry with him. and says, don't get smart, black boy. And I'm like, okay, I'm tired of this. Um, then the, the hookup for the abortion lady comes knocking on the police chief's door looking for Tibbs and Tibbs, um, basically, well, the chief was like, where are you going? He's like, where whiteies aren't allowed, basically. So the hookup takes him to go meet Mama Kaliba and Mama Kaliba, um, you know, she does backstreet abortions, um, and they basically have this conversation about, like, who done it. He's like, I just need you to give me a first and last name. I'm not trying to take you to jail. She's asking you why you're working for the police. He's like, I just need to know what's up, who did it. And then he's like, um, she's like, you promise you're not going to, you know, take me to jail. She's had freedom. She doesn't want to go back where her freedom has been taken from her. And then Dolores pulls up to the door. Dolores sees Tibbs, runs out. Tibbs goes after her. And in the shadows, there's a man holding a gun. And we find out that it is the cook, Ralph, from the diner. And then the mob with Purdy's brother, with Dolores' brother, pulls up. And they're ready to fucking kill um, Tibbs. Um, Dolores and Ralph, the cook, are screaming at him, telling them to shoot him. He's lying. And Tibbs is like, just check her purse. She has $100 for the abortion it's they he she basically lied to you it's not sam that got her pregnant it's ralph that got her pregnant and so um party checks his sister's purse sees the money ralph shoots him twice um some of the crew some of the mob runs off tibbs dearms ralph 
um, Dolores' brother dies, basically. And then we cut to a scene where he's confessing everything. That he was hitchhiking to get to his job. He got in the car with Mr. Colbert. He talked about how he wanted a job. Um, he's like, yeah, I'll show you where the factory is since we're on the way. And they get out. And he's going to show him the factory. And he basically just wanted to steal from him. But he ended up killing him. And he ended up moving the body and all that stuff. Um, and then the next day, uh, the chief of police walks Virgil to the train tracks. He says, you stay safe out there, right? He said, yeah. And that's the end of the movie. Dun, dun. <laughs> I hated almost every second of this. <laughs> I'm so curious to hear what y'all thought about it. Marin, you want to um, go first? Or okay. Corey, no matter. It doesn't matter to me either. Um, I'll go first. Uh, I had no clue what I was going into watching this film. So I just started it. I thought the time setting of this movie, I thought this movie was going to be a lot bloodier. I thought I was really, I would thought Mr. Tibbs was about to be beat up in this film. So when he slapped that white man, I didn't have time to rejoice because I thought the next scene was going to be him like bloody from head to toe. I, mm-hmm. I gasped in fear for him. And then the white man started crying. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I started laughing. Um, I guess like, I don't know how to describe this. Like I was watching the film and I was genuinely intrigued to see who the killer was going to be. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't the first white man wasn't the second white man because like which white man it is and because I, I was not paying attention to this little cook in the back so when he popped out of the woods i said is it the cook so i was genuinely shocked by that but um i don't know like it's kind of i think the movie's okay i think it has some messages and it's kind of heavy but at the same time it's not like it's not too much to which i was like sitting there just sick to my stomach watching the film Mm. what about you Corey yeah kind of same for me like I didn't like hate it or anything I was like thinking about the time when this movie came out it was a lot less racist than I expected it to be same which is like a kind of pleasant surprise because like once again this movie came out like in what like the 60s or like yeah Mm -hmm. it came out in 67 yeah so it was like a, a way less racist than I expected it to be and, like, to see that the black man was a detective, too, was just, like, like off the beginning, I was just like, wow, like, they made him a detective and not, like, a suspect the whole time. So, yeah, I didn't, like, hate it. And I thought it was interesting. It's not, like, something I'm, like, oh, I'm absolutely in love with this. But, you know, I can yeah. see why it's uh, popular or, like, uh, renowned, kind of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I... I I was it was a breathe little bit when they made him a cop because I was like if I have to watch again two hours of this man just trying to defend himself of not being the killer I can't do that so there was faith in that um, I thought it was like a typical sixties detective show and I don't I don't get to see, we don't get to see a lot of black people in crime true detective shows like that especially during this time the slap was cathartic there needed to be more of them but it was definitely cathartic. Um, I have a problem with the dialogue and the messaging, but I kind of understand it for that time period. Um, I just, <laughs> the movie was trying to be like Kumbaya progressive mm-hmm. and it just, it failed on <laughs> mini level. Cause like, I think the biggest problem I have was that, that ending scene where they like respectively amicably see each other off. I was like, how did we get here <laughs> up until yeah. the last moment? That man was still being a racist piece of shit. Uh, yep. so, <laughs> so how did we get to this ending where he's just like, yeah, you'd be safe out there. What? <laughs> Not after and still call it every every black person a nigga. Like, what? He's not going to do anything <laughs> different. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Which even comes into play once we get into some more of the behind the scenes and the awards and shit like that. But yeah, I think I I don't know. I think Sidney Portier was amazing for his time and I wish he would have been allowed to do more progressive roles than what he was given. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It um, makes sense. Yeah, because it's like he was a first of all, he looks good 
in this film. Period. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Very handsome. Was giving... He looks absolutely scrumped and delumptious. That scene of him and Harvey in the cells where he's, like, sitting back in the dark and just yes. to him. I was like, bitch, you better have swag. <laughs> you, better, you better be giving the girls a run for their money. I was like... Right before he did the scene. (laughs) (laughs) He looked absolutely fantastic. So watching him, like watching Sidney Poitier act was probably the best part of the show. Because um the acting style in the 60s was definitely different than what's today, but there's a subtleness to what he does and says and the way he moves and talks that basically just gives you that oomph. And I'm like you do the damn thing. You be out here making them coins. But yeah, I don't like the... We'll get into the critiques and the messaging in a minute, but what about you, Neo? Watching it for a second time, what are your feelings? Um. Well, second, first time, like, what's crazy is that I really didn't remember a lot from the movie besides the slap. <laughs> mm. Like, it's crazy how, like, the first time I took away, like, oh, he slapped the white man. And then after that, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a whole other movie besides the slap and mm. i don't know when my brain thought he slapped the cop but mm. i think that was just my brain trying to retroactively get the justice <laughs> for the <laughs> cops <laughs> racism um, yeah. but the yeah and then um the second time i was kind of just like it was a bit more exhausting um to mm. watch because the the constant racist comments the and then just thinking about how like this is keep in mind y'all this is the deep south like mississippi a county that's like that nobody knows in mississippi in the 60s and this is like so so far deep south that i today i wouldn't feel comfortable you don't want to be there after right you know damn well you go to this county today you're gonna see trump stickers and you're gonna see confederate flags like there's I, I and the thing is about this it's like there's a lot of things that I can see they tried for the time I feel like they were taking a they were like we have to do this in a way that's progressive for their time right mm-hmm. so in a time where most black actors are playing maids or butlers like this could be probably like I can see why in retrospect why this was so significant even though for our modern eyes it's pretty problematic and doesn't execute some stuff well but like Sidney Poitier is giving his he is giving acting and I love how he's giving he acts in no matter what he's in um Mm -hmm. and I love like the the brief moments that black folks have in this besides him I think Mm -hmm. those characters are great um the kids in the family the fact that the guy who didn't even know this and it lets you know it's almost like the 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 sense of the com- you got the sense of the black community Immediate back then even without yeah. having to get the context of like the the rampant racism like you could just see like okay this black man from the north comes to the south he stays with the black family and they don't even question it they're like you're staying here like that's <laughs> that's the kind right. of stuff that was so subtle and you wouldn't pick up on it white folks probably flew over their head back in the day but um yeah just those kind of moments like the black folks and then Sidney Poitier, he was fantastic. But the, we'll talk more about the critiques because I, I have a lot of opinions and I want to hear y'all's opinions. Um, you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. So I had the same opinion about the ending. I wrote in my mm-hmm. in my notes, I said, a little skeptical by the end, end, ending. Suddenly this man who's most definitely a racist cop sees this black man as his equal. I was like, mm, no, that doesn't that doesn't like sit right with me or just seem like a perfect ending to it. But I also think that Mr. Tibbs relationship with Gillespie, the chief proves that um, black people are always never going to be given, never going to be given respect from, for this film, I'm going to say the white man, even you're going to have to, you're, you have to earn it. Even when you have proof like Mr. Tibbs did, that you should be given this respect. He was a cop and the number one homicide detective. And he had to go through, <laughs> first of all, almost being killed twice. Twice. Almost being killed <laughs> twice. twice in order to gain mis- um, respect from the chief, even though he knew more than he did. 
So yeah. mm-hmm. I think that's definitely like, I don't know if that was a message then, but it's definitely the message I saw now. Right. Oh, and also the scene where um, Gillespie and Mr. Tibbs are in the house drinking bourbon. And yeah. it just kind of irked me that Gillespie was there. Um, Gillespie? Gillespie? Yeah. Whatever was the there, fuck his name. Um, <laughs> was there like talking to him with like, I don't know, his racist barrier down for a second, I guess. Mm-hmm. And as soon as there was a little connection with them, he retracted real big. As soon as yes. he saw a connection with this black man, he was like, no, I don't need anybody. Mm, sir, you're lonely. And this man just said he's lonely too. Like, <laughs> that was a little interesting scene too. But yeah. I think um, the scene that pissed me off the most was the scene of him convincing, quote unquote, Virgil to stay and do the case. He's like, you're not going to pass up an opportunity to stand up white people. My life is on the line, bitch. It felt out of (laughs) character for Virgil to like be like, yeah, I guess you're right. And I feel like they did that to give the white people a one-up at least once. And it was very irritating. Yeah, yeah. that scene, like honestly, that scene was very... The probably the most one of the most annoying ones because that's mm-hmm. not what a any perfect like imagine you're a black person in the 60s you are mm-hmm. highly educated you live in the north you have literally maneuvered that version of white that version of racism in the north which is probably not as overt quote unquote but still very prevalent still very present um mm-hmm. so you have to maneuver that right that racism and you're going to come to the south the deep south and then risk your life for a case like that that's not realistic that oh you just triggered another thought i'm sorry when he was like you know that's a lot of when when the widow was um this is the same scene when the widow uh threatened to take away the 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 factory and the chief goes to virgil to be like help us and stay he's like you know you know, that's a lot of, you know, he's like, half the jobs are going to give him to black people. That's a lot of your people. And, and Virgil's like, that ain't my people. This is your town, bitch. The fuck? <laughs> right? And I, that, that, and another thing you just said when Nia was just like, it makes no sense for him to stay, especially if there wasn't black people involved in the case in the first place. Right. Yeah. Why would he stay to help you white motherfuckers do what? <laughs> right. And like, of course, and, and it's not like he's going to get any reward for it. Nope. He's just going to live. Maybe. Like, there's like, no incentive. I didn't understand why the message had to be that both of them learned a lesson. Mr. Tibbs learns to work with a white man and the white man learned not to kill a black man. Like, right? that doesn't, it's not the same. Accuse a black man out. of murder? Yeah, that like it's not... for the first time, no police work, no police work. You're like, why'd you kill him? What? Somebody's one is not like the other. <laughs> it's no. literally not. And the thing is, you know, once he leaves, he's not going to treat the black people in that town no. any different. No, <laughs> he's not going to all of a sudden see their humanity. He's he's gonna. That's the. Uh, that's why it's what's kind of frustrating to me about this t- movie and like this brand of racism movies that came from this time and i get it it's mm-hmm. not it was a it was a product of its time it was quote unquote progressive for the time but like using like i uh, the perfect version of what white people think is a perfect black person as like mm-hmm. this is one of the good ones and then you have to use this pinnacle of black perfection or by white standards as like a vessel so you can learn that you, that you're not that some white person can see black people as humans it's like no that's not that's he not never saw his humanity that's he the never thing. did there was and not one time in this story that 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 fucking chief was just like you're a human person no he's like you're a roadblock in my laziness that was the first part you're a murderer if not he's like you're just an up to you want to be better than white people or maybe he just wanted to help people as a cop right. which yeah. is what you're supposed to be doing <laughs> and i think that what's that's what's so frustrating about this movie it's because the one of the messages that it's trying to send is like in order for racist white people to like you black people you have to be perfect and they won't still won't even like you they'll tolerate you and not kill you and that's right. like 
why are you trying to send a message that Sidney Poitier, who clearly is over, overly educated beyond, he's on a different level than all these people. Like these white people are like trash. Like they don't have, they don't even have, like you can literally see in the representation of like their station, like stuff is falling apart. They're, they make it a most, I think what's interesting is like, I feel like that's that symbolism in the movie about like, this is a police station where these white people who are supposed to be better than black people. That's what the narrative that people been fed like mm-hmm. the racist rhetoric for centuries it's like these supposedly better than white people their stations falling apart they don't have air conditioning the the gate won't yeah. open right like it's so many things that you're seeing and i feel like that's supposed to be a metaphor of like these are the so-called better white people and then they're they're pretty just they're just doing nothing and they're not on the level of who they think they're supposed to be better than and that makes them insecure and it makes mm-hmm. them feel like oh, oh the I projecting can't. Oh, projecting. the projecting that was happening in that scene at the train station. I can't get over oh, that scene. Because he was just like, you just think, you're like, you're smart and da 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 this. And I'm like, bitch, like, are sir. you upset that you aren't? <laughs> like, sir, we get it. You're an idiot. We know. Oh, trust <laughs> us. We see that you don't know a thing. Like, why are you taking it out on this black man who's highly educated? He, he It's not his problem that you're a dummy. <laughs> um, Like, it's so weird to me that... <sighs> okay. I'm going to try to word this correctly. Like mm-hmm. if it doesn't make sense, tell me to start over. But like how they kind of make Sidney Poitier's character sort of want to participate in this, not just participate in the case, but sort of like prove like, himself. Yeah. Prove himself. It was a weird sort of like, why make that his character? Why? Because in real in reality, he wouldn't want to prove himself to racist white people. Let me don't... let me explain why. Because the book was written by a white man. It was produced Oof. by a white man. Um, <laughs> let's. Yeah, I don't mean to cut our our critics, but I just want to get the production stuff out of the way real quick because this is funny to me. So one, it was actually filmed. <laughs> it was set in Spartan, Mississippi, but most of it was filmed in Spartan, Illinois, and of course. Um, I love how on the Wikipedia says Jewish and Portier and Steger worked together and got along well during filming. Um, but of course the production had you know problems with Southern authorities, and Portier had his reservations about coming south past the Mason Dixie line for filming. Yeah, <laughs> right. So they ended up filming a lot of it in Tennessee, some in Sparta, and some in other places in Illinois. Um. The scene of Virgil slapping Endicott is not present in the novel, actually. Um, Portier said the scene was almost not in the movie in the first place because the civil rights race relationships in the USA states that Portier said, I'll tell you what, I'll make this movie for you if you give me your absolute guarantee that he slaps me and I slap him right back and you guarantee that it will play in every version of this movie. He's... um. So that was something that Portier was just like, has to be in this film or he wasn't going to do it. Um, And if you look at Mark Harrison's book called Pictures at Revolution, it states that the copies of the original draft of the screenplay clearly depict the scene as filmed, which has been confirmed by both Jewison and Silifant, the director and producer. Nevertheless, Portier is correct that Tibbs slapping of Endicott was not originally envisioned. After Endicott's slap, Silifant's initial step um outline reads that Tibbs has a hell um Tibbs does all he can do to restrain himself and the butler starts praying for him and Tibbs firstly says don't pray not for me and Tibbs counterslap first appears and Sullivan's revised outline so that was kind of something that happened outside of the book um there was supposed to be some more Christian allegories on it you can go read that on Wikipedia um, the film is important because it's the first major Hollywood film in color that was lit with proper consideration for black people. Kudos to Hassel, um, Haskell Wexler, who recognized that standard strong lighting used in filming tended to produce too much glare on dark complexions and rendered the features indistinct. According to Wex- Accordingly, a Wexler adjusted the light to feature Portier in a better photogenic results. And he did, because he looked great that entire movie. I don't think people realize how much racism is embedded into a lot of different um, aspects of everyday life. 
um for black people the fact that lighting has to be changed like there are tons of photographers even now that don't know how to light black people and a lot of models mm-hmm. have to work with the most crappiest humans in the world who don't know how to light them and their shoots end up ridiculous or um you know like the soap dispensers that can't detect melanin and that's why they don't work so come again there's a that's yeah, why so- it doesn't that's- pop up sometimes wait yes. what the fuck if you turn your hand to the lighter side it's more likely to come out than the darker side wow, wow. well that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah like well I can't be the only black woman who like goes to every sink and the yes. yes. doesn't yeah I have to keep going yeah. to different ones like oh sometimes. my god that yeah. was a revelation yeah. and the thing is yes. it's because the people who code it code it with their biases already mm-hmm. thinking and they only do it thinking oh this is the type of person that's going to be using it and they do it un- unintentionally racism mm-hmm. is not always like i wish that people would get it through their heads sometimes that racism is not like you can't sit at this table or you can't sit on this bus it's like it's in <laughs> it's in code it's in every it's little in, thing it's in everything <laughs> yeah i think that's it was the what... same way with like uh cameras like when they first were invented it didn't yep. account for like black people being yeah. on camera so like the white balance and stuff was just always off constantly no matter what the lighting was, the color will always be off. Yep. Yeah, I didn't look a lot into the music, but um, Quincy Jones and Ray Charles both pr- participated in... Listen, Tori, when I, when I read that, I said, Quincy Jones? Ray yeah. Charles? What is going on? Like, Yeah, Ray Charles sings the title song of Quincy Jones. All the compositions are about him. The I entire t- track. <laughs> you know what's crazy? It almost... And this is super random, but it's like the fact that like Quincy Jones was like nearing his peak of his career because like the Jackson Five, like, I think the Jackson Five. I'm not the, I'm not an expert, but like mm-hmm. he was like on the rise, like really popular. And there's like two, definitely two different worlds where you can go somewhere and be like a a black person who's a superstar, but then you go to the South. Like it's just it's so weird how like I couldn't process how those things existed at the same time. If that makes mm-hmm. sense like yeah i don't know how else to word it like it doesn't make like it 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 feels like two different eras mm-hmm. but it wasn't so it's very it's very strange so yeah um then we can like move on into reception that line where Gillespie, you know makes fun of virgil for having the name virgil he's like um, that's a funny name for a nigger boy that comes from Philadelphia. What do they call you up there? He said, they call me Mr. Tibbs. It is number 16 on the American Films Institute 100 movie quotes. Um, you've probably seen this meme if you haven't seen the movie because it's a very popular line. Um, but yeah, they talked about how uh, screening it for white people versus screening it for black people was different because when the slap happened and the, you know, the film producers were in the theater it was cheering from the black people when Tibbs slaps him and whispering of astonishment when it was mostly white people watching. And there's a bunch of critical responses about it. Um, people, I guess people at the time thought it was a pretty decent movie that, you know, tried to um, upend and, you know, give a message and things like that. Um, I don't agree with this, this line from the time he said he pl- applauded the film's theme of racial unity that was immeasurably helped by performances from Seeger and Portier that break brilliantly with black and white stereotype. Well, We're not watching this. Unity? Question <laughs> mark? Unity question mark? I, what unity? Like, the man survived. Honestly, this is a survival horror. <laughs> it really is. It truly is. Um, it grows a good... Here's the thing that pisses me off. <laughs> All of the awards won for this movie were given to everybody but Portier. Rod Steger won for back as best actor. Sidney Portier was Sidney Portier wasn't even nominated at the Academy Awards. He was nominated at the British Academy of Film Awards. Didn't win. He was nominated again. At, at, oh, <laughs> Sidney and Rod were both nominated for the British Academy of Film Awards. Rod won. Sidney didn't. Um, wow. The, the screenplay also won well no not at that one but for the academy awards it won best picture it won best actor it won best screenplay it won best film editing it won best sound um 
Golden Globe Awards, Sydney's nominated again. He didn't get it. Rod Steger was nominated. He won. Uh, Quincy Jones nominated, didn't win anything. Sydney Portier nominated again at the Laura Awards, didn't win. Rod Steger also nominated, won. National Social Society of Film Critics, Backtaster, given to Rod Steger. Again, he won for New York Film Critics Circle of Awards. Again, he won for the St. Jordy Awards. It's fucking, I think that's but I'm not shocked. the most bitter part about this. Because to me, Rod Steger didn't do great acting in this show. So I don't no. understand. <laughs> he was just insert white man number one. Like you can, white man playing a racist is not too far from, <laughs> not too far. That's from. not real acting. <laughs> right. <laughs> like. And what emotional highs and lows did he have to be winning all these awards? What kills me is when they both nominate Sydney and Rod and they still give it to Rod. Oh, of course, because I feel like they they identify with him. They know they are equally at the time. They were equally as racist. They they mm-hmm. empathize with him because they saw themselves in him, but they couldn't empathize with the black man. Oh no. Yeah, I. <laughs> this movie's complicated because I wish like if we could do a redo. It's like I wish that the, I would have done some things so different. But the thing is this movie probably barely got aired the way it did even with the slap. And that was the most progressive part in the movie. And that was like, I mean, I think it got aired a lot with the slap actually. Okay. Which is why like they didn't cut it out. Right. But I mean, they had probably had to fight for it. Like Sydney had to fight for it. Like he didn't just like that was progressive for the time. I don't think he fought for it. He said he did it. But he was he was making sure that they it went in film because you know stuff always gets cut out in the editing room. Sillafin mm-hmm. actually did write the slap when he revised. The oh, they did. The okay, gotcha. Times. Yes, but Sydney was like, "I'll do the movie if you make sure the slap is in here." Like if you're looking at two different versions of the film. Gotcha. So yeah, I give in the heat of the night a three. <laughs> <laughs> A three because Sydney Portier looked fantastic in it, and I love the immediate camaraderie between the black people in the film. And I have I rarely get to see black lone detectives, and I want to see more of them. I mean, I think the only other one that was kindly noted of our time is what the fuck the name is that show that was always on TV. One, I I I know what the poster looks like. I can't remember the name of the show. But yeah, I give it a three. I think Sydney Portier was good. I don't like the mixed messaging. Well, I don't like how it ended in supposedly good terms when nothing good actually happened in the film. And like Nia said, this was a horror survival. This was not a detective film. (laughs) Um, To comment on the way it was shot, I thought it was interesting that I kind of didn't get the feeling of those 60s detective films until the music kicked in. There's like some really, really long takes on like faces with no dialogue which I thought was very weird um but yeah it gets a three out of me what about you Marin? um I'll give it a five because I can't imagine that for the time period that it came out this was probably very progressive like I will never mm-hmm. as much as I was shocked when he slapped that white man I can't imagine what it was as a black person in this movie screening seeing this on screen for the first time like I know mm. if it was liberating now I can't imagine what it was like during that period. And mm-hmm. a part of reason is I'm, I was reading the like behind the scenes of the film and everything. And sometimes like filmmaking goes right over my head and I miss it, but they were talking about mm-hmm. how every time uh, Mr. Tibbs touched a white body, the camera would zoom into that scene on his hands when he was touching the body on the, on the dead body or when he was holding the, the widow like it was to show like you know the contrast between a black man touching and feeling on a on a white on a white body and so that was something that was like oh okay that's interesting um but yeah i would give it a five it loses five points because of the ending Mm -hmm. yeah because of the whole kumbaya energy (laughs) though (laughs) yeah uh what are you Corey? Yeah, I was actually thinking the same exact thing, like a 4.55-ish, um, because I think Sydney Poitier's performance was, like, really good. Like, despite the messaging of the film being, you know, pretty terrible and, like, all, of course, the standard racism that comes with movies that come back that from back then, it was, like, progressive in its own way for the time it came out. 
So that's why I would give it a five. But will I watch this again? No. <laughs> I will not be watching this Absolutely again. Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. Unless you pay me for like a critical response. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Nia? Um, yeah, I actually agree with y'all. I'd give it like a five. Um, mainly because um of exactly what y'all said, the the how probably progressive it was for the time and how liberating it probably was for black folks especially during that time um who wanted to see something like this on screen but Mm -hmm. weren't able to see it until this movie um and i definitely think this ushered in a wave of more pro-black unapologetically black movies in the 70s with black exploitation um and then like further on and till today um i definitely think this movie's culturally significant but i don't like the messaging and that they try to paint them as like they're both prejudiced oh no there's there's one there's a whole town of prejudiced people who are trying to kill a black person and there's one black man who's trying to survive and i don't like the motive that they made him stay um Mm -hmm. i think that was kind of dumb because he wouldn't because he would want to survive first so my life right my my life (laughs) life matters more so yeah yeah uh, what about you tori yeah it's a three for me i just i don't know i've become harsher with my ratings i've gotten older um it was definitely progressive for his time and i'm glad that sydney Poitier got to do so many different roles while he was alive he doesn't like um they actually called him a super spade that oh this is one of the fun facts that i forgot to tell y'all that black people actually called this movie not the title, which is In the Heat of the Night, they called it Super Spade versus the Rednecks. And the Super <laughs> Spade is a term that was used um, since the early 1900s to describe African Americans that were exceptionally gifted in different areas. The label was primarily given to athletes and entertainers. And the term was used to capture the essence of what um, was expected of Black folks. They had to be sensational. And Sydney Portier was definitely a super spade. And we are sad to see him go, but he left a amazing legacy that so many, that probably inspired so many different actors of our times and times to come. And so even if I don't like this movie, I appreciate what it did for his time, where it stands in history. And Sydney Portier looked great. Like that's, that was helping that's me throughout the, the whole movie. That's the real takeaway. <laughs> also he has a lot of movies y'all so like mm-hmm. a raisin in the sun yeah, I, i'm actually curious to watch it because my dad said that's his favorite um sydney mm-hmm. poitier movie so like i would love to see him in the context of not having to deal with racist white people so i right I might watch that in my i think we anybody wants to in their free time please do so <laughs> yes 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 um as always thank you for listening to the podcast we got a review early today that was making us cry you can go watch us cry on twitter uh, <laughs> um and we're coming with some new good stuff next week in the weeks to follow february is going to be a fun month for us so make sure you have your notifications on and don't forget to rate review and subscribe here on spotify as well now that we have reviews and on apple podcasts or wherever you listen don't forget to come talk to us on twitter at commented and tiktok at comment podcast until next time i'm tori i'm marin i'm nia and i'm decoria bye